This is Inspiring Design, where unique innovators come together to share their knowledge, share their insight, and keep us up to date with the latest industry trends. And here's your host, Rashan Senanayak. What's up, listeners? Welcome to Inspiring Design with Rashan Sarnayakar. This is where the best of the best brands, experts, change makers, and thought leaders come together to share their valuable insights, experience, and knowledge. Our goal here is to be the missing link between education, design, and the industry. So today I have here with me the director of Chaos Group Labs, Chris Nichols joining me all the way from Los Angeles, US. Chris is an industry veteran, currently serves as the director of Chaos Group Labs. He holds a bachelor's degree from Colgate University, majoring in mathematics, art, and arts history, as well as a master's in architecture from Rice University. Chris's deep understanding of both art and science has taken him wide and varied career path. He was hired by Gensler, the largest architecture firm in the world, to focus on CG visualization. He later applied his knowledge to a long career in visual effects, which includes movies such, such as Maleficent, Oblivion, and Tron. In his current role, Chris finds interesting ways to bridge the gap between technical and creative CG problems in many industries including visual effects, architecture, products, and automotive design. So without further ado, let's get straight into it. Chris, mate, welcome to Inspiring Design. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, mate. Uh, can we start off with a little bit of background on yourself? What's your story? What's my story? Uh, well, it's <laughs> long and long and sort of story. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I guess I was always, uh, you know, I was a, an odd kid that had odd things that I liked to do. Uh, you know, back when, when I was a kid, I, I got into computers when the personal computer first started to become a thing where you could actually have a computer in your house and it wasn't, 
in a back room in your dad's office. Uh, so that was when I first started to learn how to program and just, you know, goofing around on a computer. I got into it uh, to some extent uh, quite a bit um, in terms of, you know, making games and stuff on a Commodore 64 and things of that nature. But I, I, I then sort of really became uh, into into both art and math. That was sort of two parts that I actually really loved doing. And I guess I got into that because I always thought that I was going to be an architect for, since I was about seven, I decided I was going to be an architect for some reason. And I structured my whole education around going to be an architect, even saying the fact that I'm not going to go to architecture right away. I'm going to do something else and then architecture, because that's going to make me a better architect. Yeah. <laughs> that was the idea. So when I went to, to college, I went to Colgate uh, in upstate New York. Um, it was a, a small, very good liberal arts school. Uh, and I decided to, uh, you know, specifically do that, do art and math um, and, and study that. And then when I went to get my master's uh, in Houston uh, at Rice University, um, uh, that's, you know, I was going to do architecture there. So w that was around 93 Mm -hmm. And I'd already gotten pretty good at uh, doing stuff um, on, on computers and especially visualization. I was really into the idea of visualization. Uh, I was a, in my, for math, I was uh, using a, a program called Mathematica, which is now pretty popular, but back then it was brand new. And I was doing it on these uh, Next machines, uh, which were machines that Steve Jobs founded before he went back to Apple. Yeah. But uh, I did that for a little bit. And then when I went to architecture, school <clears throat> they happen to have these new computers there that were called SGIs and uh, computers they used to, to do Jurassic Park and that was around the time that I came so it was 93 is when I went there so that's around the time when Jurassic Park came out so I said cool I'm gonna try that and these were extremely expensive computers at the time but you know universities got these great grants and big big deals with these uh, companies so I I embraced it uh, very early on. I think no one else knew how to use this. They just had the, this computer there and they said, do something. And someone just tried it and they turned around and was like, There's, I don't know how to learn. So I, I, I just went into it. I just stayed up late. I was the only person in the lab. And I learned all that stuff on my own, uh, you know, back around 93. Um, and I became sort of more, more of an expert in this area, which was kind of fun, I guess. Uh, so that, that became sort of my focus on visualization. Um, and then I ended up getting, uh, I was teaching at because I was good at it, I ended up teaching at the university. Mm -hmm. uh, so I got into teaching, which was, actually, I really liked teaching. That's, that, that was, you know, you, I know you're educators. And uh, to me, the teaching is the best way to learn something. Absolutely. Because <laughs> you got to know what you're saying. I think, I think I remember my first job teaching at the university, I was, uh, I decided I was going to teach him something about CG. And I said, okay, we're going to start with the very basic parts of CG. And remember, this is the early days of computer graphics. So I said, mm -hmm. okay, we're going to learn about three major things, rotation, translation, scale. And so I wrote down RTS on the, on the, on the, uh, um, on the, you know, the whiteboard. And uh, then I turned around and I noticed everyone writing it down on their notebooks. Yeah. And I said, oh boy, I better know what I'm talking about. Cause they're writing it all down. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was kind of one of those moments where I was like okay I better I better I better get get good at understanding this so I, that education was a really good part of my me me getting better at at, at what I was doing yeah uh, 
And so then when I went to, to, to Gensler, uh, which was a, a big architecture firm, I ended up, you know, they hired me there uh, because I was really good at CG and they needed someone in that area to do visualization work. Uh, this was before ArcVis companies were big. ArcVis companies were not sort of well known back then. There was maybe a couple D-Box was one of them possibly, but there isn't that many uh, architecture vis companies. So architects would hire an expert in this area, but I happen to have an architecture degree. Um, you already I have the understanding of space, you know, you say, you, you oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I went to Rice is an excellent architecture school. It's a very good design school, too. So I was a good mm -hmm. designer, uh, but I also happened to be really good at doing CG work. And so I went to, you know, to, to my, uh, my, um, my boss, basically, at Gensler, and I said, you know, I, I want to, I went to architecture school. I don't want to be some guy who just does renderings. Mm -hmm. Can I do more than that? And they said, well, you know, Chris, we can, we can hire a designer. I'm sure you're a very good designer, but we can hire lots of designers. We, we just can't find anyone that does what you do. Wow. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I get it. Yeah. But they were nice enough to say, okay, we'll tell you what, we'll put you on a design team because I think it's fair that you have that experience. And I said, okay. So I went on a design team um, and then, you know, they were going to, it was an office space of some kind. And they started talking about, you know, the fire ratings on the doors and the height of the handicap uh, railings and stuff like that. And I decided, you know, I'd, I don't know if I really care. I yeah. think I like making the pictures. <laughs> I love the honesty. Yeah. And I said, I think, I think the, I mean, I, I like making really nice pictures and that's a cool thing to do. Uh, and so uh, it was at that time that um, uh, basically I got, uh, I, and that, at that point, I had moved to uh, to Los Angeles. To, I was working at the Gensler office in Los Angeles, and a friend of mine was working at a company called Digital Domain. Mm -hmm. And in DD, they were they called me up uh, and they said, uh, "Hey, uh, we're about to make this movie where we have to build, uh, you know, most of New York City for this uh, movie called uh, Day After Tomorrow." So, do you have? Can you bring some of your architecture building skills to <laughs> to help us with this movie? And I said, wow. sure. So that's how I ended up getting into the into the visual effects world as as that. Through. So you were actually involved in in Day After Tomorrow as well. Oh yeah, yeah. I've been I've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. That's incredible. <laughs> I actually love that movie, and, and <laughs> simply because it was it was such an amazing way of actually visualization. I. I remember saying that to my parents back in the day. That's amazing. And now I'm speaking to one of the people that was buying. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was interesting. I, I'll tell you something that was interesting because I remember I was complaining about in, in architecture. I, was, I, was, I didn't have a chance to do architecture while I was an architect because all the other architects were doing that job. I was just sort yeah. of doing whatever they told me to do in terms of visualizing it. But when I was at, uh, at DD, there was so much there had so many buildings that had to be built and they, they didn't know how to make a building look real or like how to design a building. Yeah. And so then suddenly they're like, well, Chris, you're an architect. So you, you tell us how it's supposed to look. So all, all of a sudden I was the, my first job outside of architecture. I was actually building architecture, Yeah. which is kind of interesting. Like I was actually designing some of these things and doing, I mean, and the best part is that it, it I didn't have to worry about code. I just had to have a basic understanding of it yeah. just so it looked right, you know, but, uh, but it was interesting. So I, it was fun. And yeah, a lot of the background buildings, I sort of came up with a whole system on, on how to, to, to do all those background buildings and, and all that stuff. It was pretty fun. 
Wow, like that's that's an incredible story, and I love that. And because I think everyone listening can actually relate because these movies they've seen it. So your work, it's so easy to actually connect with. So yeah. I I admire that a lot. We we uh, we had we had this gentleman back in uh, season one. I spoke with he was he was an industrial designer from from Marvel that had worked recently with um, in the new Thor movie and Godzilla. So again, but from an industrial design point of view. So it's mm-hmm. quite interesting how these base level skills that we sometimes take for granted can create these amazing things that we enjoy on a daily basis in, in coming from Hollywood. So I love that. Love that. Yeah. So yeah, um, pretty amazing story. So ha- let's get into V-Ray. And sure. this, is, um, this is something that a lot of people have been talking to me about because V-Ray's been uh, widely used here as well in Australia and um, a lot of firms use it and universities use it. Um, yep. Schools want to use it more and more. So tell me a little bit about what it, what is V-Ray all about? Uh, sure. So yeah, actually, it's interesting. It did the, this all kind of started uh, around 2001, and I was this is when I was still at Gensler actually, um, and V-Ray was. Uh, V-Ray was, uh, there was, there was a new kind of thing that was going on. Now, obviously, a lot of people were using computers. They were doing CG, uh, but uh, computers were pretty slow back in, you know, very much slower than they are now. And so uh, there was something called ray tracing that was coming along. Uh, and there was uh, a couple programs that could do it, but they were very expensive and they were slow and they were extremely complicated. But then just around that time, there were three packages, uh, three renderers inside of uh, 3ds Max mm-hmm. uh, that were plugins that were going in, and they, what there was different from them is that they were full ray tracers. Yeah. Uh, because then before then, they had packages that were like inside of Max that were do, uh, they were called a rasterized render, uh, which is what real time games, uh, uh, real time renderers use now. And they would do something called ray tracing, but it was on top. So things, what ray tracing really does is, it, it, is a, as opposed to rasterized rendering that does a scan line and looks at the geometry and sort of does that kind of intersection. What a ray tracer does it is it shoots rays of theoretical rays from the camera and interpolates how all the rays bounce around mm-hmm. and creates something that looks really great. Which one's so, more accurate do you think? It, it's much more accurate. It is the most accurate right, system we have now. Rasterized are not accurate at all, um, but they're fast. Uh, but ray tracers are much more accurate. And uh, what's interesting is specifically for architects uh, and architecture, uh, it became extremely important, uh, ray tracing did, mm. because uh, it, uh, it was the only way that you could get truly accurate lighting. Uh, with something that at the time was called global illumination, right? And what global illumination is, is it calculates how light bounces around on diffuse surfaces Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so that that light scatters everywhere. So very common, for example, if you have a white room and you have a red carpet in a room, the red carpet would reflect red light coming up on, on everything, right? So different colors. And it was extremely important. Architects wanted to know what their space looked like. What happens if this is a bigger window, a smaller window, how the light comes in, how much more light floods through the space. Really very, very important for lighting. And uh, what happened was V-Ray became one of the fastest at doing that specific kind of ray tracing. Yeah. 
And uh, it also did it in a way that was simpler than any of the other solutions. Um, and it was invented by, when I first checked it out, was around that 2001, uh, it was literally some guys uh, in Bulgaria, two guys in Bulgaria, and they had, uh, they had decided, hey, I think I, I wrote something pretty cool. And they went up on the Delphi forum and created a download and people could freely download this program and try it out. They really didn't have a company. Then suddenly, about six months later, it's like, I guess, I guess maybe we should sell this as a product. And they made V-Ray. And that was the first version of V-Ray. And I was one of the first people to buy the actual software back then. And I became, and I became close friends with those guys. Um, and then it was interesting because when I went to the film industry, uh, I noticed that they, they were like, we're never going to ray trace. It's too slow. And I'm like, really? But the, the architects are doing ray tracing. Why aren't you guys doing it? Yeah. So it actually took... It took another um, five, six years before the visual effects industry started to embrace uh, fully ray trace stuff. Uh, they did a little bit, uh, mental ray was the only other uh, package they were looking at, uh, but then, then other packages started coming along, Arnold and, and V-Ray more specifically. V-Ray became a big thing mm -hmm. uh, at that time. So I, I sort of became sort of a, an expert in V-Ray uh, and an expert in lighting. Uh, and that's sort of one of the things that happened to me while I was working in visual effects. Um, and I was, you know, I was really interested in basically that, that idea. Uh, and I'm still very close, still was very close with the company. Uh, and then uh, the company grew and grew and grew. I mean, like I said, it was two guys. It was Vlado and Peter for many years. Mm -hmm. um, and now, you know, it's, it's all over the architecture world. It's one of the, the biggest renderers of all architecture. Um, and uh, it's all over the automotive industry as well and the visual effects industry. And, you know, we went from two people to almost 400 people in the company now. So, <laughs> Wow, that's insane. That's amazing. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. I love when that's that Obviously, you're creating huge value. So this is a bit of an obvious question, but I actually wanted to hear from, from an expert such as yourself. Why do you think this visualization is an important skill for the future of design? Doesn't really matter if it's outside of architecture, but why is it important? Well, I mean, you always want to see what it's going to look like before it's built, right? So that's a that's a, uh, uh, an important part of it. So you do have many opportunities to look at it in different ways, spatial, et cetera, et cetera. But just um, light. Light is an important part. I mean, V-Ray is really, if you think about it, it's a camera. Mm -hmm. It's a camera into a space that hasn't been built yet. Yeah. Um, and uh, that becomes much more in, important uh, to see what, what things really look like. So I think ray tracing is going to be uh, more and more important. Uh, these days, um, people are, much, are very interested in real-time uh, rendering, uh, and, and they should be, That's that, because that is the future. Uh, the future is real time, but the future is not rasterized. The future is ray traced. So when, when we're talking about ray tracing uh, or ra real time, uh, what you should be thinking about is real time ray tracing <laughs> and not ray trace. Remember I was talking about before where they would do rasterization and ray tracing on top. I'm yeah. talking about full ray tracing, like everything is ray traced. Uh, and when you start doing that, then you've pretty much recreated visually speaking you've recreated the world the real world so that's that's the that's what's important right now about that that's awesome i love that and how do how do people coming up in these industries how do they harness these skills like i know you you were lucky with 
literally activating your left and right brain, arts and maths, bringing that mm -hmm. together. So you had that training. Um, how, how can people harness these skills from an early age, especially if they know that they're going to be using these in multiple industries? How can they harness yes. Well, you know, what's interesting to me is that I've, I've been, you know, I've been doing this for almost 30 years, right? So <laughs> the, the thing is, it, it never was, it always started way more complicated than it was, right? So the, the, the trend is now actually things get simpler and simpler and simpler. Yeah. And one of the things that was interesting is when, when people were starting to look at V-Ray in the early days, they were like, it's too simple. It's like, or some people say it's really simple. V-Ray is really simple. And what's interesting now is that the world has changed so much that V-Ray, suddenly people are like, it's really complicated. I'm like, <laughs> it's, it hasn't changed. In fact, it's gotten simpler. It's just that people want the one button solution, right? Yeah. And, and, and that's fine. We have, we have that uh, one button solution. Um, the thing that's, that's important is uh, what you really need to do is if, 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 to, to pick up the skill. I say the best way to pick up the skill so that it becomes uh, easier to do is to pick up uh, photography, honestly speaking, right? If you're good at photography, uh, then you're going to understand this. And you don't have to get into all the details of f-stops and stuff like that of, that, of photography. What you really need to get good at is composition, lighting, things of that nature, right? If you want to make something look good, look at how you do a photograph and understand some of the fun fundamentals of photography, three-point lighting, those, those skills. Those are skills that doesn't matter. The technology is not going to do that for you. You still have to do that <laughs> yeah. no matter what. They're not going to compose an image for you perfectly without you doing anything. I think that's, that needs to come from the inner person. So those are the skills that I think are the most important. Uh, I try not to teach. I think um, referring to training that eye, because I think yep. you said it very eloquently, you know, it's a camera into, into a space that hasn't been built yet. So if you can train your eye, then everything else falls through. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So that's, that's the most important part of things. Uh, and then on the, on the, on the next level is just sort of realize like, okay, uh, here's the thing also when don't be intimidated by the giant interface and don't pretend that you know what's going on. <laughs> I am, I am, uh, I've been using these programs forever. And what I always love to do is just go back to default settings on everything and not twiddle in all the settings. And all those settings are there on an as needed basis, but I'll guarantee you that 99% of the time you do not need to mess with them. Yeah. Um, and that, that sort of becomes very liberating because then you're like, okay, well then that, that just works. Um, one more skill I think that actually is very important uh, to understand uh, for, for, for lighting uh, or for rendering, there's there's three parts to 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 lighting that are or, or rendering things that are that are important to learn. One is obviously you mentioned the cameras. The second is the lighting. How do you put the lighting and what what kind of lighting you have? Uh, those are things to understand those parts of things. And then the third one, which is a little bit odd, and this is really only in the computer graphics world, is materials. Materials have a very a specific kind of property uh, that are important to sort of understand that and that that's that is one of the more challenging things to learn uh is you know what things how things need to look like what 
kind of what is a reflection and uh, what is an index of refraction. That sounds very intimidating as a term, but it is an important part of physics of how, how light reflects off of things um, and, and, and how, how shiny things are. Uh, and those are, are good things to learn. Um, and, current, and because they're a challenge, and I know people like, for example, uh, especially people that are not necessarily hardcore into computer graphics, some people that are doing great computer graphics, like in SketchUp, for example, uh, they don't necessarily have, they don't know the not, they don't, they don't have memorized, you know, what the index of refraction of water is, right? I, I do, unfortunately. But uh, <laughs> they, they, we, so what we do for those situations, we have libraries. We have a library that's like, okay, so you want water, here's basic water. Now, once you have water, it'd be good for you to know a little bit about what those settings are so that you can change things in case you want to do things, in case you want to, you know, make the water colored red or colored blue or whatever you want to do. Or if you want to tint your glass and you want to know where to tint your glass, like what's the best way to do it. Those are skills that I think that you can, you can learn as you go. Uh, but, um, but yeah, those are materials is going to be the, the one thing that takes a little bit more time getting there. Um, but, uh, but those are, those are going to be great as well to learn. Yeah, start, start with lighting. It's lighting on cameras. If you do those two and then you just use white materials for everything, you're going to get like really far. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's great because I, it makes sense because the level of physics and level of science, you know, a little bit of chemistry, a little bit of physics understandings and combined with mathematics, then you're bringing in some creativity into it, training your eye. It makes sense. And you've outlined that perfectly, man. And so I know recently you were really busy the last few weeks simply because V-Ray 5 just came out. And yep. um, I've, I've been getting the ads everywhere and I've seen it. I've passed it on to, on to my students as well. So tell us what's different in V-Ray 5. What, what's, what's the new stuff? Well, we've done, um, it's interesting. This version of V-Ray, we put in a lot of things uh, specifically to, to help uh, go through iterations uh, faster uh, yep. because... A lot of times when, you know, especially in the old days of, of rendering, it's like make a change and then let it render, see what's happening, make a change, let it render, see what's happening. I remember, so I had a, I'll get a little side story if that's okay. There's a friend of mine when I was working on, um, on iRobot and he was the VFX supervisor on the show. And uh, he, had, he, he was a practical guy. So he used to do practical miniatures and everything. And he said, I really want to know how you guys light in, in your rendering. And I showed him how we do it, where we like move the light in, in, you know, in Maya at the time, move the light around and then hit render and wait and then see what the effects of that and then move the light again and then wait. And he says, that would be like me going on set and moving the light around, turning all the lights off, <laughs> yeah. moving them around waiting half an hour, turning them on, seeing what happened, then saying, no, that's not right, turning them all off again. <laughs> it's like, that's not practical. It's like, nope, it's not. And so what we're doing now is we're allowing things to, to, to move along, uh, iterate faster in terms of uh, in interactive ways. Uh, one of the things we've added is we've completely changed what's called our, our virtual frame buffer, which is really the window into the rendering that you've done. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of things we've done in the frame buffer to make it you know, much nicer and easier to use. But one of the things that everyone's been uh, very excited about is uh, we've, uh, we've incorporated a new, uh, a new feature that's actually borrowed from, from another uh, render that we do called Corona. Uh, we actually uh, use both of the, we, Chaos Group owns both of those products. Was um, it made, uh, and, prior to the pandemic? <laughs> 
It wasn't Corona before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was. It, it was named Corona for a long time. Yeah, but uh, and it, the. But anyway, we. This is the 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 feature is called the light mixer, and what's really interesting about the light mixer and actually something that's true of ray tracing in general is because everything is like a ray, like I mentioned, they're all rays that are scattered everyone. We still know where every ray hit and what contribution they have had to every pixel in the scene. So wow. it's all in memory when you, yeah. after you've done the, the rendering. So what happens with the light mixer is that after you've done all the rendering, it lists all the lights that you have in your scene on the side. And because it knows what light, how much, what that specific light has contributed to the image, you can change the intensity of that light and it'll dim just those sections of the pixels of that have affected that. Or you can change the color of that light or you can do all kinds of things. So basically it's kind of like, um, like you're on a, uh, in a, 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 an engineer at a theater where you're the light, light mixer in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a theater where you can make the light blue, turn it down, put the spotlight on, et cetera. That's basically what you have. And what's really great about that is that you can do your rendering, you can get the lighting about where you want it, but then if you want to change the balance of lighting, you can do that all after the fact, which is kind of a, a great tool and uh, really a kind of awesome because you can see it happening in real time. Yeah. Uh, so that's a really cool uh, feature that we've added. Uh, we've added uh, other things that have been really great to sort of help, uh, especially uh, architects and, and things of that nature. Some randomizer is what we were calling it. Mm -hmm. Where if you want to randomize a bunch of different textures on different things, you can uh, you can randomize the textures that way. Uh, we've added uh, for uh, to people. This is more for the film industry, but you know possibly the architects could be interested. The Aces CG workflow. That's for matching colors of specific types of cameras like red cameras and alexa cameras and things of that nature uh we've added oh my gosh so many things oh a new sun and sky system which is great i love it uh so, definitely love that <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. so the sun and sky we've added a new basically it's based on a new uh some new uh some new research that's happened but uh sun and skies uh, there's, there's simulators out there that can tell you basically you position the sun based on the angle of your scene and uh, you tell it the, 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 the nature of the sky that you have, how much turbidity, which is how much dust is in the air or how much ozone or moisture, different things of that nature. And then when you move the sun up and down, it'll brighten or darken the scene and the light, the, the, the color and intensity of the sun will, will match what it needs to be. But with the new one, we've actually got it so the low angles are way more accurate. So you can actually get true sunsets and you can actually get lighting that's below the horizon, which is not easy to achieve in other, uh, in other uh, sky models. So that's a really great new feature that's been added. And I like that one because it's kind of, it's pretty. <laughs> yeah, oh, definitely. I can imagine because every, every, whenever we are photographing a, a space, usually we look for um, the dusk or the dawn settings just because we're not going to get that harsh light. We're going to get the right amount of glow. And uh, even uh, we, we ex we've explored a Matterport technology where, you know, the 360 cameras and actually 3D mapping a space. So yep. when you're doing that, we never go in the middle of the day when it's harsh sun. We actually prefer it when it's slightly overcast. It gives us that perfect uh, lit setting. So I think yeah. that's, if we can achieve that on a, on a computer, that's perfect. Yeah, yeah, it's really, it's really kind of cool. Um, so we've done, we've done a lot of, uh, of work in, in sort of in that area. 
Um, another big thing that we've done is uh, we've, we have a, another product that we, are, we're, we have currently that's in beta and it's called Lavina. Mm -hmm. uh, that's its current name. I think it'll probably have a, when it's an official product, it'll probably have a different name, but it's its current code name. It's uh, the Bulgarian word for avalanche, which is kind of interesting. Uh, but it is, a, uh, it is our first fully, fully ray traced real-time renderer. So it's, it's basically a, a real-time renderer but it's fully ray traced. Um, okay. And so what's cool about it is that uh, all you need to do to load, load a Lavina scene is export out what's called a VR scene file, which is uh, a scene file that, that takes all the V-Ray stuff and puts it into one file that you can render it in standalone. All you have to do is export that and then you can load that in Lavina and you, you can walk around in real time. Uh, so that's been a really big thing for us. And as that started to become, we started to realize what people are doing, we've sort of upped the capabilities of what's possible inside of V-Ray in your other applications, like if you're in Max or in SketchUp or in Maya or whatever. So your exporting out of VR scene file has become a little bit uh, more robust and, 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 and uh, to be able to take advantage of some of the Lavina things as well. Yeah. So that's, that's been a big thing as well. That's an absolute game changer because if architects can actually do that very successfully and, and, and quite easily, that, that mm -hmm. client, client role, the communication between the client, it's, it's just going to skyrocket. That's amazing. I, I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, they're going to, it's, it's, Lavina is a big deal uh, because it is fully ray traced and allows you to see things uh, in, a, in a different way. So uh, yeah, and we have, we have some really great uh, partners who have been testing it out and doing a pretty good job on it. Um, Matt, I know you mentioned iRobot a few minutes ago and I've been kind of dying to ask this question. Did you actually get to meet Will Smith? I did not meet Will Smith, uh, but <laughs> I did, I did meet Alan Tudyk. Okay. Uh, and uh, Alex Proyas, I believe, is Australian, who's the director of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I met him several times. Uh, but yeah, I did meet I did meet <clears throat> Alan because we were. Um, uh, that was a, uh, after I did uh, the after tomorrow when I was doing I robot. I sort of got into lighting of characters uh, and doing uh, more character lighting and in in that type of thing, uh, and that sort of became one of the things I became very very interested in. Uh, and led to my long passion on digital humans uh, that I've had since then. So I've actually done a, a bunch of things in, on digital humans uh, since then. So I tend to put my put my hands in many different kinds of jars of <laughs> CG. Yeah, oh, definitely. And, and you know, the beauty of it is because um, I've been teaching architecture for probably about, this is the eighth year now, and compared to when I was in first year, uh, which was in 2008, Mm -hmm. the quality of work that students are producing simply because of the capabilities of the of V-Ray and softwares like that, it's just absolutely insane. So everyone, it's just taking human capability to another level. So you're doing amazing work, mate. It's making a big impact. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much. So tell us, um, tell us a little bit of a gossip and a, and a sneak peek into the future. What can we expect with the future of V-Ray? Well, there's going to be, I mean, I'd sort of been hinting at it before. The real time is the thing, right? So real time is is how you're gonna how you're gonna get there. Uh, what you how what that means is what's gonna be interesting uh, right now. Um, there's um, the the key is what's happening in the real time world is obviously what's what's interesting is that the video game world has started to infiltrate 
the non-video game world, <laughs> right? So uh, things like uh, like Epic from uh, Unreal from Epic and and Unity, uh, those those were platforms that were built specifically to build games, right? Because games required real-time rendering. But then when they started to realize that they can uh, they can do uh, other things, uh, they started to get into those worlds as well. What I find interesting is that those packages, especially like Unreal and Unity, they're not they're, they do have a rendering capability in them and they're, they're, they're decent renderers, they're good renderers. But that's not what makes them interesting to me. What makes them interesting to me is that they are actually uh, platforms that you can create things. Mm -hmm. So if you start to think about rendering, uh, there are other ways you can render, right? Like SketchUp had a render, but V-Ray is a better render, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so they add V-Ray so that it can get to the next level of rendering. And the same thing is going to be true for these other platforms. And that's what I really think is interesting is what does it mean now, now that things are real time, now that things are going into that area, what does that actually mean in terms of what you're able to do as an architect? If you can see your building at fully high quality from the first time you drop a polygon in your scene, right? What does that really mean towards your design process? Because I know, I mean, the architects are always like, never make it look real because then it looks like it's done. Well, it's like, you know what? People are <laughs> going to expect it to look 100% real from now on because that's the way everything is going to look. So just embrace that. Um, I had a conversation with uh, uh, Patrick Schumacher. Do you guys, do you know who Patrick Schumacher is? He's the the main, uh, uh, he's the, the principal behind Zaha Hadid architecture because fortunately Zaha Hadid, she has passed away. But Patrick Schumacher was basically saying that he prefers photorealism as soon as the design is done because let's not lie and pretend it's just, you know, some pastel drawing that doesn't look real. Like it's yeah. going to eventually look real because uh, that's what architect is. So I think that's the thing that's going to be interesting. When things look 100% real from the first moment you do it, uh, then it's going to, you know, it's going to change the way you think about design process. And also interactivity, right? If things are very interactive, you're going to iterate much faster. You're not going to sit there and wait for the rendering to be done and say, huh, well, we should look a little better, but it looks fine, you know? Yeah. There's no more good enough. Like you keep going and going and going until it is perfect. And that's, I think that's gonna be very interesting as well. Absolutely, and I'm very excited about how, how these kinds of technologies are merging with, with um, VR. And um, that, that's an absolutely, you know, industry yeah. disruption type mechanism because you can literally walk through the space that hasn't been built. And it's, if it's looking more realistic than ever before, it's yep. actually going to take people into a world that that doesn't exist anymore, but will right. exist. And you're there. You're right there, and you can see everything. It's it's amazing. It's the capability is insane. I think I think what's interesting about VR. That's actually a good you brought it up because like there was you know the VR was a big craze and everyone thought it was going to change everything. You know, it was like the the segue. Like when I was like, it's going to change automotive industry forever. And <laughs> Segway never actually did anything, right? But the the thing is like VR. They they had these big promises and ideas, and they, all the movies were going to be done in VR, and it's like it just didn't make any sense to me. But what VR is actually excellent at doing is to take you to a place that doesn't exist and that's what an architect has to do every day right they have to take you to a place that doesn't exist uh and that's something that's very important as a as a as a narrative uh and i think that that's something that that 
we should embrace uh, in terms of its abilities to what it can do in, in architecture. So we've been focused on VR, you know, and try to give the give tools that are that enable that to happen. Um, and that will be sort of an important part of uh, where things are going. But really, it's 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 what people want to do. I, I mean, I've noticed I've talked to a lot of architects and there are people out there that definitely still use VR, but there's some people who just don't want to put something on their face right now, you know? So, <laughs> <laughs> True. Absolutely. so, so that's a, that's a, that's something that's going to be different, but it still, it still doesn't change the interactive real time abilities that you have and, and what that's going to mean for us. Awesome. I love it. And I, um, I always ask this from every one of the guests that I have on, What's your advice for the professionals in the industry right now? And uh, what, what can they do to stay up to date as well as students and graduates who are working their way up, who's going to be in the industry in the next five to 10 years? What's your advice for them? Well, you know, just especially, I always like to keep uh, my education to, to say, uh, I'm still learning, you know, I'm, I'm almost 50 and I'm still learning every day. Lifelong. Uh, so, uh, the best thing I got out of my, cause I went to an architecture school, right? And I'm not an architect. I didn't, I, well, I, I just don't, don't practice anymore, but I still value that education a great deal because the best thing I learned from that architecture, uh, from education is that I learned how to learn, right? And when you learn how to learn, then everything else you learn, it'll become easier because you know how to learn something, right? Or, and then teaching is another thing that by teaching, you learn that process as well. So I would say try to embrace what you learn and then, you know, and, and, and make sure that you can uh, take full advantage of it. The other thing I learned, uh, you know, a little bit later in, in college is that uh, the teacher don't work for the teachers. The teachers work for you you're paying the teachers to teach you. So if they're not, if you're not taking advantage of that well enough, then you, you're wasting your money. Yeah. Uh, so make sure that you use your teachers. And if you're not understanding something, it's not always your fault. It may be that you didn't understand what, and go to the teacher and ask them to help you with that because that's their job. Yeah. So take advantage of your teachers uh, and in that way. Remember, you're, you're paying them to teach you. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that's wise words, mate. And, and the fact that you frame the learning in architecture resonates with me 100%. I used to be in the industry. I just don't have 30 years of experience yet. But, yeah. uh, but absolutely the same thing has gone through my mind where people have literally asked me going, oh, you're not in architecture anymore. Do you think that it's a waste of your uh, you know, time studying that for five years? Oh, no. Absolutely not. The thinking, no. the design thinking, the approach to any type of problem solving and creating nothing out of something out of nothing. All right. of those things were taught in architecture. So I love that. There's also, I mean, there's a lot of other great skill sets that I got out of architecture. One is having a thick skin. Yes, yes, <laughs> 100%. <laughs> Someone can tear your design apart and you have to be perfectly okay with that, you know? Yeah. So that is a good thing, being able to understand criticism and, and, and improve on yourself on that. Uh, being able to throw everything you've done away and be okay with that and start yeah. over, that's also something that's a good thing. Yeah. So yeah, I learned all those skills in architecture school and uh, they're still, they're still valuable to me today. You know, you, no matter what I'm doing, if I'm writing an email, I'm able to use that skill set, you know? Definitely, man, definitely. And I'm, and I love that. And um, you, I couldn't have said it better myself. So um, what's your advice for schools and universities? You know, how can they prepare 
their students for using tools like this and the future of this kind of technology? Well, uh, the thing is, I always thought, you know, what's important for schools or for, for any teacher is, is, is not to focus too much on what buttons do what in any piece of software, yeah. because that's not, those buttons will change all the time. So uh, focus on the, on the fundamentals about it, you know, translate things into different ways of, so people can make the translation. I think when I first started teaching, uh, I was teaching Max and Maya at the same time for the same class. It's like, you should do a Max class and a Maya class. Like, no, I'll do two classes, but I'll do them both programs at the same time and progress it that way. Because I think what that helped is if you learn, like if you learn SketchUp and, and Max at the same time, they'll say, oh, okay, so the, moving something in Max is like this and then moving something in, uh, you know, in SketchUp is like this. And then if you want to learn Blender, you'll say, I just got to find where the equivalent thing in Blender is. Yeah. And you can learn that on your own, right? But if you only know one way to do something, you're never going to be able to adapt uh, the other ways. So I think that, that learning several packages at the same time uh, is useful because anytime something new comes up, you'll just make that translation a lot simpler. Yeah, yeah, definitely, man. I think that's a useful way. And it's, it's actually aligned with a growth mindset rather than a fixed one. So yeah, love that, love that. Chris, mate, thank you so much for your time. I've picked up so much things, um, personally learned, learned a lot of things. So appreciate your time, mate. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's awesome that we're able to do these podcasts remotely like this. That's great. Absolutely. That's it for today, everyone. Now it's time to jump on to roshansemanayaka.com forward slash podcast and check out the show notes from today's episode. Click on the direct links to check out Chaos Group V-Ray and follow the amazing and extraordinary work that this gentleman is doing and follow him on Twitter and reach out to him on LinkedIn as well. Get deep into V-Ray and the future of visualization. Last but not least, click subscribe and I'd love to hear your thoughts on today's topic and feel free to share the love with the review as well. So till next time.